0: This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by WealthBar. WealthBar makes it ridiculously easy to access professionally managed investments and financial advice. Invest in a professionally managed portfolio in minutes online, and you get unlimited financial advice from a certified financial planner when and how it works for you. Sign up in minutes at wealthbar.com/canadaland and get a $100 fee credit. Visit wealthbar.com/canadaland for more offer details.
1: This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is easy to use accounting software designed specifically with you, the small business owner or freelancer in mind. FreshBooks makes it easy to stay in the black without seeing red. It's genuinely easy to invoice, expense and manage your books as a small business owner. For more information, go to freshbooks.com oppo.
0: From Candleland, this is Oppo. So I'm Jen Gerson, and this is my new co-host for this winter, Sandy Garasino, who is the columnist with the National Observer. Hi, Sandy. Hey, Jen. I'm so thrilled to be here. This is going to be fun. I think this episode is going to be fantastic, and I hope also that our audience uh, gets to know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Former trial lawyer.
1: I've been writing now for a while with the National Observer. I'm just kind of an observer of the world. I look at the national affairs of Canada. I look at bc issues um but a lot of global issues and just just happy to be here
0: awesome well i would like to know one day how you became went from becoming like a trial lawyer to a writer because that's usually the opposite step that most people make it's the better step now i also remember um i really liked some of the work you did during the snc scandal you did that really really awesome breakdown for the national observer of what that scandal was all about and got into the details of the actual corruption of the SNC executives involved in the sort of the Libya meddling. And I thought that that was a, a really excellent and fresh take to take on that whole issue. So I was thrilled to read that. And um, also, when you know, your name came up to potentially co host the show for a little while, uh, I was super excited to have you on.
1: Thanks so much. I actually really enjoyed that piece. And I think that we kind of missed the global picture and, and yeah. the, the bigger picture about why that mattered. And And why it mattered that our um, justice minister was independent.
0: Super excited to have you, and I think we're gonna have a a great uh, show. So uh, let's get to it. On this week's show, we're talking about the ongoing escalation of hostilities between Iran and U.S., uh, largely over the assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. We're going to talk about the, as far as we know, accidental shootdown of uh, Ukrainian Airlines Flight 752, which, of course, had now 57 Canadian passengers on board, and you know, potentially also talk briefly about Harry and Meghan coming to town and what that means for Canada. So stick with us. <laughs> This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by Wealthbar. Wealthbar believes your investment experience shouldn't be determined by how much you have. So whether you've got $1,000 or a $1,000,000, you get access to professionally managed investments and financial advice. For example, you can open a TFSA or an RRSP online in minutes. There's no paperwork and no hold music. You can check in on your investments anytime from your computer on their easy-to-use mobile app, and you can start investing with as little as $1,000. It's a pretty reasonable amount to start investing with. Consolidate your investments into one easy to manage view and get the full picture of how your wealth is growing. Get full transparency into your user fees and performance at anywhere, at any time. WealthBar makes it easy to make more confident decisions about your money. You can speak to a financial advisor by phone, chat, email, you can even book a meeting. And these are services that are included in your fees, regardless of how much you have to invest. Start investing right away, right from the comfort of your PJs. Sign up in minutes at wealthbar.com canadaland and get a $100 fee credit. Visit wealthbar.com canadaland for more offer details. So, we've had quite the week. I'll say. No kidding. <laughs> Who was expecting this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just sort of seems like, uh, especially with the Trump regime, every week seems to get more and more chaotic and insane than the week before. And of course, this one ends with, um, where are we now with the Iranian stuff? After a series of sort of low level tit for tat uh, exchanges between the Iranians and the Americans, the um, United States decided to take one of the most severe options on the table by using a targeted drone attack against um, the, the head of the Iranian Al-Quds force, a man by the name of Kasim uh, Soleimani. I don't think I'm ashamed to say that I think a lot of us didn't know who this guy was before he was killed. Yep. Um, but, you know, to be fair to the Americans, this is a guy who for the last 30 years has devoted his life to, you know, uh, expanding Iran's uh, influence in the Middle East, largely through terrorism, through attacks um, on on U.S. troops and through all kinds of particularly nasty deeds um, in the region. So, I don't know, like, uh, to the extent to which I want to get into the question of whether or not destroying uh, Suleimani was the correct or right or the wrong thing to do, I think it's an interesting question, but what i personally took away from his assassination was that it just sort of seemed kind of poorly thought out like you don't get the sense from the Americans that they had a plan for what was going to come after the assassination of Soleimani and they certainly weren't budgeting for you know the unintended consequences which ultimately led to the um destruction of flight 752
1: that takes us right to the the heart of the matter here in Canada, where we are we still have not had the remains returned of Canadians, and we are still dealing with this. Meanwhile, the Americans have happily, and by the way, on both sides of the aisle, seem to have happily skipped forward to the impeachment with with very little concern about the consequences of the actions. Um, It's pretty much right out of the Great Gatsby, you know, they smash things, they move fast and smash things and leave it for everybody else to pick up the pieces. But I do think that also evidence is emerging that, of course, the rationale given by Secretary Pompeo for the attack.
0: Yeah, and this is actually something that I'm personally super angry about.
1: Yes, I mean, the, the Americans seem to have broken all the rules, uh, no surprise there. That uh, seems to have been politically spurred, this, this move to assassinate Soleimani in the sense that Trump was looking for a quick win, some kind of, he wanted a trophy, and he got one. But there wasn't the calibration. You know, In every scenario, experienced managers, whether it's military, governance, whatever you're doing, you have to do the 360. You have to do the risk assessment. What is the likely impact? But also, what are the foreseeable consequences? Nobody would have predicted that someone would panic and shoot a missile and take down or shoot two missiles and take down an airliner. But it shouldn't have been out of the realm of uh, foreseeable consequences that something unexpected and unintended would happen. And that is why responsible governments refrain from escalation at every opportunity because they don't want to open that chaos. They don't want to open that closet door and unleash all the chaos. We seem to have And I largely that.
0: agree with what you're saying. I mean, there's a couple things that make me really angry and upset about this whole thing. And I got to be honest with you, I am actually, for a couple days, I've been actually very upset about this. And I think part of the reason is because, you know, there were kids on that plane, and those were our Canadian children, as far as I'm concerned, on that plane. And whenever I see kids get hurt in any kind of news scenario, personally, I, I get more emotional about it than I ought to. And there's a couple things that make me upset about this. One is that it seems to me that whenever the americans go on some kind of foreign or domestic military misadventure or even just trade misadventure it's the canadians who keep on getting kicked in the teeth and to be frank a lot of the middle power allies that the americans have who who kind of eat the consequences because the americans themselves are too big and powerful to attack directly so if the chinese want to like make a point to the americans about their you know ongoing trade war You know, they don't go after the Americans directly, necessarily. No, no, they'll detain two Canadian citizens, as they have done. Or they'll cut off uh, imports of canola and pork from Canada, because, I mean, that's an easier target. We're an easier target than the Americans are. I don't think that the shoot down of Flight 752 was, was purposeful at this point. There's no evidence to suggest that that's the case. But it seems to me like it's another one of these cases where, you know, the Americans have now shot down Soleimani, and now they get to move on. And woohoo, it's great. Look, the, the retaliation from Iran was this symbolic nothing sort of missile hit. And, you know, we win. Yay, go USA. And, you know, our citizens get shot down in a plane and the Americans don't give a shit because they don't have to. It's not their people. I mean, I think it's a bit of a dorm room level argument to waste time arguing about how much of this was Donald Trump's fault, frankly. But when I hear Donald Trump get on a platform and say, well, this had nothing to do with us and that plane was just in a bad neighborhood at a bad time, I get infuriated. Like I get I get like viscerally angry. Yeah. So on that note, like. Sandy and I, I mean, we're talking about what we know about what's going on. But I mean, I think both of you and I would would acknowledge that we are not experts on Iran, and we're not experts in the Middle East. So to that end, We both chatted with a couple of experts. Um, One of them was uh, Hugh Siegel, who is the Matthews Fellow in Global Public Policy at the Queen's School of Policy Studies. Um, And he was also the chair of the Standing Senate Committee on Foreign Affairs and International Investment. And he was the chair of the Special Senate Committee on Anti-Terrorism. And I asked him about a couple of these things. One of the things I asked him was, you know, would Canada actually be in a better position today if it had retained more positive relations with Iran in the past? I mean, if you will recall, we cut off our diplomatic relations with Iran back in 2012 over a couple of issues, but predominantly over the the torture and killing of uh, Canadian-Iranian journalist uh, Zarqazemi. Um, And I asked him about that, and this was his response.
2: It's unclear to me that um, the Iranians would be any more forthcoming with respect to access to the black boxes or access to the minutiae of the investigation, which is necessary, if we still had an embassy in Tehran. And I also just step back for a moment. Um, Henry Kissinger used to say that whenever diplomats and politicians say there is no linkage, it's because there's always linkage. And while I think Mr. Trudeau was quite genuine and his Liberal Party, which went from third place to first place in the 2015 election, was genuine in saying Canada should be back, we should be trying to build relationships with countries with whom we haven't had, constructive relationships in which he included Russia and he included Iran and others, but the minute the um, issue of NAFTA and its survival became salient uh, and and, and a monofocus on the part of the government in terms of its relationships with the United States, The notion of doing anything such as opening diplomatic relations with Iran in a way that might be an irritant to the Trump administration probably became a higher risk proposition than it seemed when a third party leader was seeking to become prime minister by proposing a more inclusive foreign policy.
0: So, I mean, I found Sigel's answer there to be pretty compelling. He suggested that You know, one of the reasons why we pulled out of Iran was that even having someone there wasn't doing us much good, and having diplomatic staff on the ground was putting those diplomatic staff at risk. And, you know, given the Iranians' response to date, I'm actually not convinced that if we had maintained an embassy there or more connections on the ground, that we would be in any better position today than we would have been otherwise. But I mean, I'm open to being wrong on that.
1: It's highly speculative because we just don't know. I do think that wherever possible, you want to have those relationships. Safety of diplomatic staff is always an issue and is an issue in many other places around the world than just Iran. We have a long standing troubled relationship with Iran because of the Canadian embassy involvement in the hostage taking in 1979. And so there's that irritant is always there. But generally speaking, it's always good to have relationships where you can, so that you know who you can talk to. At this point, we're having to go through intermediaries. One of the benefits has been that we have deepened our relationships with the intermediaries that are communicating with Iran. And actually, in general, it's really interesting how the, um, the Trump era has forced a lot of nations around the world to compensate for the vacuum of American power by deepening their ties and relationships with each other. So we're, you know, uh,
0: but it's interesting, because I'm not sure I perceive that I sort of perceive that, you know, in the era of this, this American leadership vacuum, that there's almost a, the underlying weakness of the Western alliance has become totally apparent. And it seems to me increasingly that, it, that Canada is out in the cold and a lot of the stuff. I mean, that kind of became apparent to me when, for example, when we got to that weird, fight with the Saudis over that Saudi tweet, where we we put out this benign tweet sort of mildly criticizing Saudi for some, some human rights abuses. And the Saudis completely freaked out, massively overreacted, and the response of the rest of the world was pretty muted. It was kind of like, eh, well, you know, you should. Have that, was that, too, that was pre-Khashoggi. That
1: was pre-Khashoggi. That's pre That's right. And that's was, correct. That's a good there's point. There's an awful lot of blood under the bridge since that happened, and I think and that's that a good point. I think that what we're seeing now, you know, as we're seeing the NATO being shredded, as we're seeing the almost overt challenges to the EU, as we're seeing. Uh, the difficulties that you, Ukraine is facing, uh, and now the dealing with this with this plane going down, I think there's all kinds of evidence that the world internationally is recalibrating, and the major industrial powers are recalibrating, and we are developing those deeper ties with the UK, with Italy, with Ukraine. That's, I think there's, there's ample evidence that that's all
0: happening and happening right now, which is a, which is a good thing. Well, that's interesting because I chatted again with uh, Siegel about that very question. Um, I asked him a little bit about the changing state of global relations and specifically how that affects Canada's role in the world. And here's what he had to say.
2: There is no question that the traditional liberal democratic world order that has sustained Canada and Canada helped shape in the shaping of the United Nations and the creation of NATO, World Trade Organization, and a whole bunch of other instruments of that world order is now under serious threat. It's under serious threat a little bit because of the erratic nature of um, what comes out of the White House on a regular basis, but it's also under serious threat because both the Russians and the Chinese rather than be in a sort of uh, neutral process, trying to engage constructively and expanding things like freedom and uh, liberal uh, economic and um, human rights propositions in their own country are heading in the opposite direction for reasons that relate to their own desire to maintain central control both out of Moscow and out of Beijing. That means that the opportunities that a uh, well-intentioned international player like Canada who likes to be a constructive force in international brokerage and other activities, uh, the opportunities for us are diminishing. They're not increasing. And part of what I think this present government, and I think any government that's elected subsequently has to reflect on, is if the old order of multilateral mutual support and some measure of mutual respect is coming apart, what should Canada's foreign policy in that context be? What does a foreign policy based on Canada alone look like, or more alone than before, as compared to a multilateral Canada working in collaboration with uh, a whole bunch of allies who share common views and common small-l liberal goals for how the world should develop? And those are those are two very different frameworks, and we haven't had that discussion in this country because it's, in a sense, it's too difficult and too painful. Because so many of our institutional relationships are tied to that liberal democratic world order and um, thinking about how you might replace that means we have to set aside a lot of areas of uh, international diplomatic comfort that have been important to us and that have been frankly pillars of a, a middle powers foreign policy where we don't spend anywhere like what we should on defense or on foreign aid compared to, for example, the British and others. And, um, and we try to avoid making those obligations so we can spend the money on other things.
0: And again, I think Siegel makes an excellent point. I mean, Canada has abandoned a lot of the power that it might otherwise have, both its hard and its soft power. You know, our military is, you know, in a state of shambles right now, um, largely because we've not funded it or or made uh, acquisitions to the rate that we absolutely should have been doing and our soft power is also not where it should be just due to sort of a lack of funding on uh, health cultural and social initiatives around the world and i think that, that that there is an argument to be made that you know if we're going to be moving into an era where you have Um, Authoritarian powers are more ascendant. Uh, Maybe American leadership is is on the decline in the global world that it's going to be up to like middle powers like Canada to step up and and take a stronger role. But that's going to cost us money and it's going to cost us resources, both in blood and treasure. And that is something that we are really going to have to look at as a country. And again, I don't see the vision coming from any of the parties about any of these issues?
1: Well, I'm going to challenge you on the blood part of the blood and treasure. I don't know. I mean, we have our NATO operations in Iraq. We have the anti-ISIS um, operation that has been happening has been on the ground there. We have allies um, that are in the region that we're working with, but there has not been a, a great sacrifice apart from Afghanistan. I don't think that in terms of our soft power or projecting power um, internationally that that we do have to take a, that outstanding a military role other than the peacekeeping role that we have adopted. Uh, and well, it's, I have, it's, it's, I have in, some it's,
0: real fundamental skepticism around peacekeeping but that might be another conversation for another day well, that's
1: a that's a different conversation but i don't think that it's really i don't think that anybody expects that canada is going to be any kind of a military heavyweight of of any nature but it's interesting i do
0: think that
1: in but we, I some think, ways but i do think canada I, needs to
0: show that it can contribute its fair share if, to if, necessary military could, force if, if necessary if,
1: if i could just finish if i could just sure. finish the point I do think that the prime minister actually in response to this crisis has perhaps reset the global perception of Canada. At least temporarily we'll see if he'll be able to follow through but I think it got the world's attention. I think he has he was really essentially able to force Iran To make the admission, it put Iran on its heels in a way that we hadn't seen before. I think that I think there's some uh, some argument to say that uh, Canada actually is going to be has the potential here to be a much more significant player.
0: I don't know. I think what forced Iran to make the admission was the video that came out showing the missile strike. I, I think Iran could have ignored Trudeau's statements very easily if it had wanted to. And I think that what, part of the reason why the protests are now breaking out in Iran was because the video showing the missile strike just became irrefutable. Uh, like I, When you have a global leader
1: standing on the world stage saying Iran shot down an airliner and killed dozens of our citizens, that has much
0: more impact. I think that a rogue state like, like Iran could have ignored Trudeau very easily. Like, that being said, I think that there are different debates about how well Trudeau handled this. I've heard arguments saying that Trudeau's handled this very well. I've heard arguments that say that Trudeau's handled this um, very meekly. And I think that there's an argument for both. I think people of goodwill can sort of perceive the things differently. I do think that, you know, there was a concern immediately after the shoot down of the plane that... Same thing that had happened to the Air India bombing back in the 80s was going to happen here, that there was going to be a sense from Canada that these aren't, quote unquote, our people. And so therefore, we don't have to respond as if this was anything other than just like a a foreign terrorist act. And I do think that to some extent, I I hope that we have not made that mistake again. I I hope that people in the Iranian community understand that, you know, for most Canadians, I mean, certainly for me, I, I feel that this is a loss of our people, you know, like this isn't some foreign affairs problem that doesn't affect us at all. and I do think that to some extent, there, there's a good argument for saying that some of the initial muted responses from Trudeau were probably appropriate because he was trying to prevent a, an escalation of tension and escalation of force in the region. Um, you know, you don't want to be going out there and saying, the Iranians shot down our planes, and therefore there will be, you know, brutal retaliation and consequences. Like, like Trudeau isn't in a position to take a Trumpian kind of stance on this sort of stuff. And I think that that's probably correct and appropriate. But that being said, it's, it's hard to not notice that, I don't know, there's something oddly muted about about some of this. And, I, you know, I, I was almost kind of happy to see the Maple Leaf CEO get on Twitter and just, like, express anger and emotion and vitriol about the loss of its citizen.
1: I was actually really heartened by that, too. I know his shareholders yeah. may have a different view temporarily, but uh, I'm sure Maple Leaf Foods
0: is going to come back, and, and let's hear it for Maple Leaf Foods. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like on, like, on one hand, like, I don't know how useful it is to, like, put personal responsibility on Donald Trump. Like, I don't think that gets us anywhere. But his emotion is sincere and real. And it was kind of good to see someone express that emotion, express what I was feeling, at, at you know, in a public way.
1: And that there are real world consequences. I do, again, because the remains of the victims have not been returned to Canada and because the Iranian government is, there's likely to be tension about which remains are going to be returned, and what happened and what kind of accountability there's going to be. This is a very, very delicate area. And again, we don't have the diplomatic relationships and we're going to have to rely on our European partners because the Americans are kind of like useless here. In terms of public statements by government officials, I think we should expect to see great care and great delicacy for quite
0: a while. On that note, I'm just going to close off this interview with Siegel with a, with, with a quick summary that he had.
2: So it's about the implication of choices we have made and choices we have decided not to make over the last 20 years, plus a more complex world all coming together in a way to produce some of the diminished options which we now have.
0: And he goes on to suggest opening a royal commission into this shooting down. I'm not opposed to that. I'm generally in support of royal commissions. I don't know. But how useful do you think that might be?
1: I don't see a royal commission. I don't see that that's uh, where would that go? Where are we going to get the kind of information that we need, Mm. the evidence, the witnesses, the documentary evidence? An awful lot of this is going to depend on intelligence. There are going to be a lot of sources that cannot, because of sources and methods, cannot be uh, disclosed to the public. I just, I don't see it.
0: I do think that the Canadians deserve to be left, you know, as I said before earlier in the show, like I'm 90% on board with this, like this was an accident. It's a tragic, tragic mistake. We have an obligation to mourn our dead and bring them home. And lastly, to find out what happened here and be totally confident that it was indeed an accident. Um, Because I mean, if this wasn't an accident, then, you know, a different set of decision trees have to open up for us as Canadians. But, uh, you know, to the degree to which a royal commission would be useful, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. I can't
1: see how we would ever get the evidence in Canada, um, except through diplomatic sources or intelligence. Um, we're not going to be able to interview the person who pushed the button. I just don't see that Canada has that kind of option available to it. Well, wasn't there a Royal Commission for the Air India bombing, though? Because the bombers were Canadian. Ah, uh, Got it. Okay, fair enough. Further, as to just the general uh, implications for Iraq or for Iran and Canada and uh, our role in the region, we also spoke to Steve Sadman, who's the Patterson Chair in International Affairs at Carleton University, He's the director of the Canadian Defense and Security Network and co-host of the Battle Rhythm podcast, if people want to listen to that. So we did speak to Steve, and, and I asked him about what the impact of this uh, airliner downing was likely to have on the regime domestically.
3: And within Iran, they care a little bit less about whether the airstrikes hit or didn't hit Americans. They care a lot more about the fact that this government made a tremendous mistake, um, and so they're going to focus their attention on the Iranian government again, which is striking. That's, this is one of the things that the Iranian government had to think about when they decided to admit that they, that they were responsible for shooting on the plane, that it would not play well domestically, and that's what we're seeing. Um, we might have thought, thought about that last night when the first news came out, and we were just thinking, wow, this is a re- very different reaction from the Iranians uh, to admit responsibility. But uh, I'm sure, even though we weren't thinking about it last night, the Iranian government certainly was.
0: And one thing that was brought up during that interview with Sidman, and I'm really glad it was brought up because it's something that I would not really have thought to have asked him about, was Canada's role in Iraq. You know, what is the impact this tragedy is going to have on the role of our military operations that are ongoing there?
3: And so the thing that we have to face right now is it a safe environment for the Canadians, both within the NATO effort where the Canadians are leading NATO to help train the Iraqis and the bilateral Canadian effort where we're training the Iraqis, is it safe to do that stuff? And I think it's a more dangerous environment now than it was, you know, two weeks ago. And the question is will that reset? And I'm not sure it is going to reset because the Iraqis are very upset. They are still have their own domestic political processes. They are still pushing to kick the United States out, or at least the Iraqi Prime Minister is. And so if the Americans get pushed out of Iraq, then then the Canadians can't be there either with NATO or without NATO. They simply don't have the capabilities to operate without the Americans there in some form. And right now we're not training anybody in Iraq because we're worried about our own safety. And if we're focused more on force protection, keeping Canadians safe than doing the actual mission, that we can't do the actual mission, then it becomes kind of pointless to stay there. So that's going to be up to the intelligence analysts to figure out the pattern of Iraqi public opinion and the risk assessments they make of, of the folks that they're training.
0: So Sandy, I think that, we, that uh, you and I are probably going to be working really hard to become uh, as much an expert on Iran as we possibly can in the next couple of weeks, because my suspicion is we're going to be talking a lot more about it. I think we're going to be talking a lot more about it.
1: This episode of OPPO is brought to you by FreshBooks, the fantastically easy to use accounting software. You started a small business because you love what you do, so why don't you have time to actually do it? FreshBooks helps you focus on your craft by saving you time invoicing, expensing, and tracking your work. It's so easy to use with built-in automation to ensure you spend as little time as possible invoicing, expensing, and tracking time. FreshBooks has plans designed for all types of small businesses, so whether you're a freelance photographer, a carpenter, a podcaster, choose a plan that's right for you. One of the best features? Late fees and reminders. That means less awkward conversations and more forward planning. FreshBooks is a simple and intuitive tool for small business owners. But if you ever need a bit of help wrapping your head around something, they have an award-winning Toronto-based support team who are always happy to help. For more information, go to freshbooks.com slash oppo.
0: On a slightly lighter note, Andy, I'm going to just uh, put myself out there for total scrutiny and uh, the humiliation of public mockery by saying that I am unabashedly on team Harry and Meghan and I have nothing but unmitigated support for them moving to Canada, probably Toronto, where, you know, Meghan can hang out with her friend Jessica Mulroney and baby Archie can be raised in an environment free from the racist British press. I'm just going to put that out there and say I think it's great.
1: You know what? I'm 100% with you. I cannot believe that anybody is getting negative and churlish around about this. It actually frustrates me. We're talking about here a combat veteran, a military helicopter pilot who founded the Invictus Games, which, by the way, didn't Toronto host the Invictus Games? Yes. Didn't yes. Harry bring Barack Obama and Joe Biden to Toronto? Yes. Did the social
0: not- capital
1: that this couple brings to our country is phenomenal. And was this not? to help wounded veterans and traumatized veterans and did it not help those including Canadians and we're getting fussed we don't even know any circumstances yet we don't know any facts and people are saying oh they have to they have to get in line and they have to apply I'm sorry she's this sixth a, in line for the crown come this, this on man just, do we not have bigger fish to fry in this country than fussing about what the security costs are going to be for this couple? Well, OK,
0: so let's let's address the security costs, because, I mean, I'm the numbers appear to be all over the show here. I'm looking at a Globe and Mail report that's suggesting that security costs could be as much as 10 million dollars, which for a federal government is nothing, just so that we're clear. And I just want to say, like, you know what? People criticize the royals. I, mean, I As I get older, I'm sort of growing toward becoming more and more of a monarchist. It's kind of an interesting (laughs) argument. It's not where I thought I would go, but I kind of am becoming a bit of a monarchist. But, you know, there have been some studies done even in the UK that shows that whatever the UK spends on the royals, the return on investment uh, actually tends to be significantly more than the actual cost of hosting them or supporting them. Because having like these kind of, for lack of a better term, glamorous, distinguished celebrities represent your country abroad can have both diplomatic Gains. Like they can do things diplomatically that you know ordinary ambassadors can't really do, and also it can have huge um, financial and business gains. Like these people can be very uh, attractive to potential investors and businesses. So like they are actually generally considered to be good investments. And if you look at how famous and how widely liked Harry and Meghan actually are, how like adorable their little baby child is. I don't really see how spending a couple million bucks a year in security costs is a bad deal for Canada. That is a good deal for Canada.
1: And we're totally speculating. Where has it ever been suggested that Canada is going to be having to pick up the tab here? We may have some preliminary costs. I'm sure this will all get worked out. I noticed, by the way, that Megan yesterday was uh, went and paid a visit to. Vancouver's downtown east side to a mm-hmm. mothers to a single mothers resource center support center uh, mm-hmm. operated by the YWCA which is probably the neediest locus of anywhere in this country. And there she was, she's been here less than how long. And there she was doing the work that we want. I mean, if we ever wanted a royal family, which I'm not a big monarchist, but for heaven's sakes, they're doing good work. These are good people. They have committed their lives to service. They are continuing to commit their lives to service. They are good people, like just can and we I, I, just not think, fight about this?
0: Yeah, this is a stupid fight. And I mean, I think you and I would, would be probably on a different side if we saw that these guys were like layabout drunks who were going to come and and act all, what's Edward V, was it, Edward V who abdicated? <laughs> let, me, let me just double check here. Edward, no, it's Edward, Jesus, I can't even keep track of my Edward's abdication. The Duke of Windsor. <laughs> yes. Like if they were going to do. Oh, yeah, you're right. So if they were if they going to act all Edward the Eighth, Duke of Windsor style. And, you know, if you've seen The Crown, you know that these absolute, you know, Nazi loving losers uh, hung around Paris in exile for most of their life, you know, playing card games and getting drunk off absent. Like if that were the, the model that they were going to be following in Canada, I think you and I would be in agreement that no, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't really be so interested in that. But Harry and Meghan, they seem like pretty good sorts who who are engaged in a lot of excellent charity work and who want to use their celebrity to bring attention to good causes and do good things. The idea that this wouldn't be a phenomenal social capital investment for Canada is is baffling to me. It absolutely would be. And lastly, like there's a bit of an element here that I think it, it we're unwilling to touch on, and that is, you know, there was a really excellent article, I think it was in The Independent, where it compared... Like the the types of criticisms and headlines that had been leveled at Kate Middleton versus Meghan Markle. And like Kate Middleton has has been universally praised for everything from like the flowers she picked in her her wedding bouquet to the fact that she like she held her baby bum so tenderly. And Meghan Markle just got trashed for doing exactly the same thing. Like, she's like, like, there was one that was really, really absurd that said, well, look, Meghan Markle put poisonous flowers, forget-me-nots, in her wedding bouquet and therefore endangered her child." You know, her, you know what I mean? Like, like, Endangering Charlotte's and, life. And, and, and changing it was exactly Charlotte's, Charlotte's the life. Same and it was exactly wedding. the same wedding flowers. Yeah. And like like in one, in one headline, it was like Meghan Markle's uh, ostentatiously engaging in virtue signaling by holding her baby. B- and it was so striking. And I didn't really appreciate just how nasty the British tabloids had been toward Meghan Markle until I saw that. And, you know, you can't you can't escape the racist undertones of the difference of equivalent. They were
1: so obvious. There was no escaping. They were so obvious. And the thing that really bothers me about this um, controversy here, which is really kind of a manufactured controversy, I don't oh, think so anybody is. would really care all that much if somebody no. hadn't got on the radio and said, oh, but who's going to pay for the security costs?" Nobody even would have thought twice about it. It's just one of those those um, knee jerk things that we have to that we seem to have to go through. But what we have to be careful of, and I'm very, very mindful of this, is that when this happens, do you not think it's going to explode in the UK press, that same vicious, racist, horrible press that was so vile, and that really hounded that poor couple out of the country, Is They're going to take advantage of every single whisper that they hear uh, negative
0: on this side of the pond, and I I just don't want to have us be any part of that. Well, one of the things that I do think that celebrities tend to find in Canada is that the the press is a little bit more... like we don't care as much. Like we I don't like, care, but we they don't care will. as much. They about will make stuff. a thing of it. Well, and, and, and I don't like as from the journalist perspective. I don't want us to feel reluctant to report on negative things because of the way that the UK tabloids might misreport them or sensationalize them. I don't think that that is our should be our our framework. But I mean, as a journalist, of course, I wouldn't think that. But that being said, I do think that they would have a much healthier kind of life here. And, you know, I, my heart breaks when I hear Harry talk about the fact that the UK press killed his mom because they did. And, you know, his obligations now are to his wife and to his kid and to try and put them in a situation where they are going to be as healthy and happy as humanly possible. And as a wife myself and as a mother myself my heart kind of goes, oh yeah, that's correct. That's the correct response for any dad. Of course you would be taking any option that you could take to try and make your life better for your family. That is a very human thing to do. And I think it's very noble and very admirable. I think having these people here would be wonderful and I have nothing but supportive of this. And I think it would be great. I think it would just be good for Canada.
1: And we have just gone through a terrible week where we have had to demonstrate our humanity and our grace and that Canada is a welcoming place. And I really hope we can just continue that sentiment with these very deserving young people who um, are completely altruistic from every indication that I've seen. So welcome,
0: Harry and Megan. May you live long and prosper in Canada. Welcome, little Archie. Like Canada. It's cold. It's yeah. cool. We'll get them some We'll get them some winter clothes because British people don't understand what winter's like. But that's fine. <laughs> we can manage that. So that's it for Oppo this week. We'll be back in two weeks. My apologies for anybody who was expecting this show to come out on Tuesday. I got a nasty little hit of the norovirus and we had to delay for a couple days. But we will be out on Tuesday again in two weeks.
1: This episode was produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. And theme music is by Nathan Burley.
0: Get in touch at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter at oppocast.